Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. Big Pharma is a predatory force that wants to turn every human on the planet into a daily, lifelong pharmaceutical customer. And you need to remember that when you go into the system that that is a pharma-based system, you need to remember that that's who funds our medical schools. That is who funds all the research. And we have to take responsibility that if we're going to heal, we have to do it ourselves. That was Mary Lou Singleton making her return appearance on the Post-Woke podcast. I will be right back with our full conversation after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. I recently learned that the average time a primary care physician spends with a patient is about 13 minutes. And the doctors don't blame this on health insurance or government programs or transhumanism, but they blame it on more specifically on their need to keep electronic health records. Thus, the solution to this manufactured problem in their eyes is artificial intelligence. In fact, many physicians, up to one-third of physicians, believe that one-third of their job will be automated by 2040. Now, going all the way back to the coerced introduction of Rockefeller medicine, the system is corrupt. Adding AI to the mix will only make it worse for those who genuinely care about staying healthy and keeping others healthy. Because no matter what we might imagine a machine can do, never forget that AI contains all the biases of the powers that shouldn't be baked into its performance. So to help us deconstruct this madness from sort of ground zero is my friend Mary Lou Singleton. Mary Lou, welcome back to Post Woke. Hi, Mickey. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. Same here. Thank you. It's great to hear your voice. And as I was saying to you before we went officially on air, I have a lot of facts and figures in front of me, but I don't want this to be about what I researched. I I don't know for sure exactly what direction you want to take this conversation, but you're the one dealing with this day to day. So I'm ready for some spontaneity. So what's on your mind and how is AI and the digital transitions impacting your life and your practice? Sure. So I'm an independent nurse practitioner practicing in New Mexico, and I have my own primary care clinic where I see 
babies through elders, everyone in between. Um, I come from the world of midwifery. I, I also take care of pregnant women. So I'm in the trenches as a family primary care provider in a very underserved state. New Mexico is the poorest state in the country. And I chose this work because it's a, it's my spiritual vocation to, to be a medicine woman. You know, that's, that's what I came here to do. It's what I've always wanted to do since I was a little girl. And then B, I wanted to integrate into the system because of some experiences I had. My, I come from home birth midwifery. That was my, my job for 15 years. My youngest child developed cancer and we had to spend quite a bit of time engaging with the, the allopathic medical model. And it changed me and it made me realize there are times when you need that, a bulldog in that system, like you, you to have a good primary care provider, to have a midwife with you in that experience sure. can really help improve your outcome. And it gave me a lot of empathy for people dealing with the system. So I, I shifted gears and went into primary care, which I love, but I also am seeing, um, I'm seeing what's happening to our healthcare system and it's, it's really frightening me in a lot of ways and I'm making some changes um, in my practice. So please feel free to, to um, elaborate on that as to, let's say over pre COVID time period to now, um, what type of changes do you feel are being imposed upon you? What type of impact do they have and what steps are you taking to circumnavigate this, this imposition of transhumanism onto your, your spiritual vocation? Right. Well, we have to go back long before COVID. Well, I guess depending on, on your, your view of human history, not that long. We need to go back to the Obama administration and the Affordable Care Act. And that, that uh, I think it was like a 2,300 pages of, of bureaucratic language that was sold to the American public and to a lot of us who were on the left at the time as this amazing liberatory legislation that was going to give everyone health care. In my opinion, that piece of legislation, the Affordable Care Act, it has a few good things in it wrapped up in a whole lot of techno-fascism. The Affordable Care Act, it was what mainstreamed medical records. It was a electronic medical records. It was a giveaway to to the computer industry and and make the the forces that make the electronic records the surveillance forces that that make and maintain the electronic records the ACA basically mandated electric records so before that and i was in graduate school and my nurse practitioner program and i was working in the hospital and i was working in many different primary care clinics here in albuquerque so i know that before the ACA passed paper records were the norm and even at the hospital, they'd bring in your your physical paper record, and then that was kept in a you know in the records department, which was you know an enormous amount of space in the hospital, and everyone's paper record was in there. And all of us remember going to the doctor and and having all of us old enough to remember can remember that the, the <laughs> doctor just having a chart, a, a Manila folder with our name on it, right? Yep. So the ACA is what mainstreamed those records, and it became almost impossible to get reimbursement if you were taking insurance, if you didn't have electronic records. So that was what 2012, what 2013 is when that was all implemented. Um, 
And that has created so much stress for, for primary care it, there, and for all of healthcare providers. It greatly increased the burden of documentation on, on providers where we used to be able to just jot a brief note of what we needed to remember for this, to keep this person safe. You know, the, the details of the, of the visit could be written in a very small form, um, Obviously, there were some issues with that in that people notoriously, doctors have terrible handwriting yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there were some issues of legibility. Um, but for the most part, it worked really well. And I would not say that outcomes have gotten better since we've shifted to the electronic records. And then also with the HIPAA legislation, which um, is a health insurance portability and privacy um, act, that that act centralized medical records and they're they're currently in the process of um of centralizing that more and more that all of the electronic medical record programs will be able to communicate with each other so it we're sold this illusion of privacy with HIPAA but really it means we have no privacy anything you tell to a medical provider goes into that electronic record and now Anyone in the system, insurance companies, the government, any doctor you encounter at a different facility can see what you told your provider in confidentiality in another system in another visit. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that context because really, you really painted a picture because I, I definitely have a clear memory of walking, let's just say 2008, walking into um, a primary care physician's office for an annual checkup and there, there would be the nurses or receptionists up front and behind them would be like this wall of of stacks and stacks of paper records and they because they worked there so long they just had this sense of where you know since my last name started with z they knew where to find me and and it seemed to work just fine and then when they switched to the electronic records there was the issue of privacy that you ended with of course but it didn't as with so many of these um these technological quote-unquote fixes they don't seem to um streamline or make more efficient or improve our life in any way. It just seems to be working in the favor of, of corporations and in the name of the increasing their profit and control. Um, so let me just say I, on that topic, how much control, like now with this centralization of, of records, how much control do um, health insurance companies have when it comes to what doctors or nurse practitioners, any any type of practitioner can realistically do as a diagnosis or treatment and expect to be reimbursed? More and more control. It's, it's increasing all of the time. Um, you know, obviously they don't reimburse for any um, alternative methods, which in, in my experience, allopathic medicine is great if you have a crazy acute situation. You know, if you, if you need trauma surgery, if you've got a bone sticking out, even I would argue if, if you are having a heart attack and, and need a stent, like there, for those, those crazy acute situations, allopathic medicine absolutely can fix the problem. But for chronic conditions, we all know allopathic medicine has nothing to offer but a lifetime of drug dependence. They're not cures. The things that I see that that heal, that help people heal themselves are modalities like nutrition, acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, massage, even energy work. None of that is covered. So you have to have um, 
you you know you have to stay within their their lane of what they consider medicine and that's not new to the electronic records um what's new is you the increasing uh, diagnostic codes that we have to we have to label our patients with pathologies in order to get reimbursement for visits and this means everyone getting um, an illness identity so that that has that a lot of forces are driving that but the the electronic records are part of what is driving that and then more than reimbursement, what I just see is the increasing surveillance of my patients where every week I'm, I'm getting letters from insurance companies saying things like, you build an anxiety code on this patient and your patient is not taking psychiatric medication. And this is, um, you know, outside of this, the national standards, you know, the standards are if, if you are, are billing this code, you need to be giving this patient this wow. drug. I find that very disturbing. Absolutely. And now we're also supposed to code uh, vaccinated or unvaccinated status. So if a patient has declined uh, any vaccines, we are supposed to code that patient as unvaccinated. Um, And then there's a specific code for uh, coding people who have declined their COVID vaccination. That's a a separate diagnosis code. So it's a you get a, a pathology diagnosis if you have uh, declined certain medications. Wow. So so you, you're talking about your patients. You just used two phrases, illness identity and pathology. Identi- what was less pathology? Uh, pathological diagnosis. I'm diagnosis. Not sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, it, it's mind blowing to think that that level of that suit, like, centralized surveillance is happening. And is this where um, artificial intelligence is playing a role? Are, are, are they, are these powers that shouldn't be using the, the AI to make sure that if someone gets an anxiety diagnosis, that, that the practitioner is then pressured or even coerced into uh, diagnosing anxiety medications? Like how, who's keeping track of this or is this already, this is all automated through AI? It's all automated through the computer systems. It's hard to know where where is that line of what's just an old school computer program and what's AI, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. all been um, evolving so quickly and so rapidly. Yes, the the computer systems are analyzing the records and and um, you know notate they're they're taking note of the diagnoses build and the treatments that the patients are getting, you know, what, what pharmacies they're, they're also getting billed for. So it's all through the billing codes that I build the anxiety diagnosis. They don't note a diagnosis code and billing coming from a pharmacy that gets flagged. Why isn't the patient on drugs that that gets brought back to me as I'm out of compliance with the standards. So that's a big piece of the computer takeover. The bigger thing is, you know, the, the, well, the thing that scares me even more, I don't know if it's, it's all so big and and interconnected. The electronic records have created so much burden for healthcare providers. We have to chart so much more than, than we used to. And so much of that is to satisfy the insurance companies that when they audit our charts, we have to have every bit of um, it's like a, a rubric for a, a grad school paper, something that if you don't have all of the the required parts in that note, you you might have to give the money back or you're not going to get paid. Wow. So 
again, where we used to be able to just jot a few notes, put the paper chart away, see the next patient, it all just happened in the room, it didn't feel burdensome. Now we have the computer in the room. And then also we're having to chart for quite some time afterwards. And this is literally driving physicians to suicide. They're, the physician suicide is is skyrocketing the rates of physician suicide. And whenever physicians survive a suicide attempt and are asked what factors are driving them to feel suicidal, in the past, the biggest risk factor was um, a malpractice complaint. It's just it's so devastating to be accused of harming somebody. That was the biggest single factor driving physicians to feel suicidal. Now it's the burden of electronic medical records that that is it's driving physicians to want to kill themselves. Wow. I I recently wrote um, a a post on Substack about I was focusing primarily on medical school, but then it led me to to um, to, to branch out into you know, doctors have that have graduated. And I'm looking at this numbers here. This one doctor wrote that if 300 to 400 physicians commit suicide annually, and given that a typical doctor may have about 2,300 patients under their care, that means more than a million Americans will lose a physician to suicide each year. It's it's a horror show. And that's just the physicians. You know, here in my town, um, uh, there was a huge tragedy of, of the director of, of, nurse, of emergency nursing at one of the major hospital systems killed herself recently. I know of many nurse suicides as well. It's, it's feeling impossible to work in that system. And so the solution being proposed to us, here we are, we're, we're, we're so depressed about the records that it makes us want to die. The solution that's being proposed to us is AI um, scribing. So Already one solution has been they, they've created this whole new medical paraprofession of the scribe, where the scribe comes as a person who comes in and takes notes during your visit, and then those notes get dictated um, and turned into to most of the, the note. Now we're being sold the idea of AI scribing. Every day I get targeted ads for um, one is called Deep Scribe, um, where it is a pro a listening device that will be turned on in the room, recording every single thing I say to my patient and my patient says to to me, it will make the note, it will generate the diagnosis codes and it will suggest a treatment plan. And this is voluntary right now, but the plans are that this is going to become the standard within the next few years. Um, It's all happening really quickly. And again, since everything is a tangled mess, for me as someone very interested in in women's health and the politics of of women's subordination and and thinking about the legality of abortion that that issue in particular sends chills down my my spine that that an ai could be listening to a woman discussing wanting to end an unplanned pregnancy in a state where that's an illegal act like that's just one example of yeah. of the ramifications of the loss of privacy with the AI coming in. So, so I'm completely, this is out of my realm of experience. So there would be just a device in the room that is constantly listening and is allegedly programmed to be able to, um, to discern the nuances and vocal inflections and practically transcribe what should 
essentially is a private conversation between practitioner and patient. And then that immediately gets sent to some central um, data bank under the guise that, look, doctors, you don't have to kill yourself anymore. This machine will do it for you. And then the, they've, they've driven all of you practitioners to this incredibly low point where understandably some would be like, fine, fine, anything to make, let me be able to help my patients and not want to kill myself. So, so there's like a machine in the room, literally recording and transcribing and then, and then digitally sending it to some central database. Am I correct on that? Correct. Correct. The central database being the electronic records that are already, our notes are all being sent to a central database. Um, that that's what the digital records are, right? Like, I don't know where those are stored. I don't know enough about computing to understand that. Um, So yeah, it'll be sent to the electronic records and we're being sold that it will um, decrease medical mistakes, that it will um, provide a better legal record. (laughs) Um, And this eventually is just going to be integrated into the EHR. So when, you know, when your physician brings the iPad into the room, it will just be it will just be part of the, the electronic medical record system that it's, it's just listening all the time. They'll probably sell us an idea that, you know, you can turn off parts of it or you can have parts be off the record, but then that's a flag of why, why is this off the record, right? What is this physician doing? Is that, you know, there are malpractice issues that, that would be threats to most providers thinking, Oh, you know, what will people think if I have part of the visit off the record? It's very scary. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm thinking two completely different thoughts here, but on that last point you made, it's sort of like a body cam on a law enforcement agent. Yes. Like the, theoretically, they can turn it off, but the moment they turn it off, um, everyone's suspicion is going to be like, well, why did they, what were they doing while it was off? Like, like I want to know what happened there. So, so turning it off doesn't sound like it's going to, to, um, be taken lightly by a structure that wants to know word for word what you said. And then I'm thinking the the patients, like when you go to a doctor, particularly a new doctor, they'll give you a pile of forms to fill out. And the vast majority of humans at some point will just start signing any place where there's an X just to get it going and get moving. And they're mm-hmm. probably signing away saying, I agree that this iPad's going to word for word transcribe everything I say in there. And I'm surrendering that privacy. And on top of that, as bad as the practitioners, uh, you know, obviously to the point of the high rate of suicide, if you talk to the average person who is struggling with this ever-increasing rise of preventable diseases and, and toxic pollution and so on, and then they go to a doctor and because the system has you guys so um, ensconced in doing the electronic records, they're waiting forever in the waiting room sometimes. So they'll, many of them will happily sign away their yeah. privacy for the quote unquote convenience of getting in and out and getting seen and, and streamlining the process for them, right? That, that sounds like it's almost created the, the patients and the practitioners have been driven to such a low point and the bar is set so low that most of them would accept anything to make it ever so slightly more palatable. Absolutely. And we we are being, I don't know if eased is the right word, channeled into that already that, um, you know, the, the quality of care is so poor. Most people have experienced that going into an urgent care. You know what you need nine times out of 10. And if it's a pharmaceutical, why not just type your symptoms into a, a computer screen and let the AI 
prescribed the penicillin, right? Mm. So this is the the telehealth is also setting the precedent that it's setting the stage for computers to to uh, be our medical providers. We've lost so much of the physical skill base of medicine. In in my lifetime alone, like I don't consider myself a very old woman. I guess I guess I'm sort of a baby crone at this point. I, I was <laughs> born in 1969, um, but I I remember a time where X-ray was the only imagery where where physicians could um, could set bones without needing to see the imaging. Where there were physical exam skills where people could diagnose really pretty well based on on their examination of a patient that took time and that took a lot of training we've we've lost so much of the um the skill base in medicine that everything is already based on computers and imaging there's a a saying in in medicine that is so unfortunately true that's um today's young physicians can't diagnose an amputation until they see the mri <laughs> yeah, right. I, I laugh so I don't cry. I mean, it's exactly. it's it, it, it's definitely the ensuing generations of practitioners are being trained a particular way. That's not to say that there aren't plenty of individuals who share your mindset of this is my spiritual vocation. I'm going into this to to not to satisfy some health insurance company or some AI algorithm, but you do have to navigate these things. And I, I yeah, I I remember. I can remember being incredibly young and having a doctor make a house call. So, mm-hmm. so as you're talking about, like, this sounds like you, it's your, it's father knows best in the fifties at this point to most people like this, this is just some fantasy back to the future thing that, but it wasn't that long ago and it didn't, um, it didn't cause these doctors to not be efficient and good at what they do. And also that sense of walking into any type of medical office and being known. This happened to me recently just to get, I was getting reading glasses and my eye doctor near me actually just runs kind of an old school operation. Sure. They have to navigate the computer stuff, but I went in in there and they said, Oh, we just need to tinker with your um, reading glasses. And I said, all right. And they texted me and said, they're ready. And when I walked in the young woman behind the desk, I didn't even have to, I said, hi. And she just started reaching for where my glasses were. Like she knew who I was. And there's this sense of like, ah, I, this feels familiar when I would go to any practitioner, a dentist or anything in in my younger days, there was this sense, it filled that, that uh, paradigm or that, that model of a family doctor where people knew you, they knew your history, they knew your family. And, and it, it, it's not, I don't understand. It wasn't like that was failing. And so yeah. this this desire to replace it with this is it's obviously coming from very very high up. So I, I want to bring it to your specific situation though. You you know I deeply I I know you pretty well and I know how seriously you take a spiritual vocation and how how knowledgeable you are and how much you continue to learn and take this as as a real calling. How are you personally finding ways to navigate this and to do what you always do, your best for your patients, at the same time not having, you know, big brother threatening or taking away, forcing you to give back payments because you didn't press the right keystroke here or here? Like, what what is that like for you on a daily basis? No, I, I've been managing i'm i'm somebody who can walk in a lot of worlds comfortably though though that's 
getting more difficult as the roads diverge, right? From um, of who's going to stay human and who's going to become a cyborg. Like I, I feel like we're at that that crossroads, and it's time Same. to, yeah, to very much make a choice. And I'm Team Humanity. So go team, I, <laughs> go team, go team. <laughs> I'm going to be disengaging from the insurance system. I, as of June 1st, I'll, I'll no longer be taking insurance payments. I'll, I'll go back to a fee-for-service practice. I'm, you know, again, I, I, this is my spiritual vocation. I certainly am not going to turn people away if, if they're unable to pay. I'd, I'd ask for some kind of exchange. But so far, the majority of my, my patients have been incredibly accepting when I explain to them why I'm making this shift. So I'm going to go back to paper records and offer the hot commodity of privacy to people <laughs> and, and just trust, you know, my, um, I've always followed my heart. I've always followed what my, my strong guidance is internally. And, and I'm going to trust that once again, this, this is not going to lead me wrong. I, I had to move through a lot of, of guilt and fear about, um, not being accessible and not not taking good care, you know, not being able to, to serve people on Medicaid and realize I can't save people within that system like that. That system is collapsing. It's simultaneously uh, gaining more control of our lives while it's collapsing. And yeah. I, as one person, need to exit that system. I, I can't be responsible for, for what's happening there. Um, so I'm going to be shifting to, to, you know, I already have an old school practice. I know my patients, I've, I've been a midwife where I live for a long time. So I, many of my young adult patients, I've, I've known them since they first emerged into this world. Wow. Um, I really am blessed to live a life that, that, um, used to be common among healthcare providers and now is, is, uh, exceedingly rare. And I'll just disengage from the computers and the insurance system. Wow. I don't want in any way to invalidate you feeling guilty and feeling some sense of shame because it is a very challenging transition you're making. But I just do want to point out what you're doing is the epitome of of inspiring health in people. And it's such an inspiration because, sure, it's challenging, but you, you and I'm sure there are others like you are blazing a path that this next generation of practitioner is going to be looking for when they when they start working and they realize how handcuffed they are by the digital um, overlords. They're going to say, "How can I get out of this? Where can I find someone who has done the hard work of blazing this path and be happy to show me the steps that they took?" And what you're doing, I'm not at all surprised that you said there that your your patients are very accepting because I feel very comfortable saying I'm, I feel certain that you have wonderful relationships with them. And boy, if I live near you, I would certainly be going to you as my practitioner. And, and I just, I hope, I hope that you can process and resolve that any sense of that guilt, because what you're doing is the true essence of, of, of do no harm and the true essence of, of trying to find the best possible ways to fulfill your mission and to, to, offer the full holistic health you can to the people that have tr entrusted you with their care. Oh, thank you for those, those kind words that, um, that really warms my heart. Thank you. No, I really mean it. And I really respect what you do. And, and, um, 
if if you want to talk more about the digitalization of it, I'm all ears. If you want to transition a little bit into talking about what you do in terms of inspiring people to stay healthy in an increasingly unhealthy world, I mean, I want to give you space to 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 speak your mind and to share your wisdom with the listeners. What, what direction you want to go in, I'm all ears. Sure. I do really encourage people to educate themselves on what's happening with the the digital takeover of our lives. I want to give a shout out to a couple of of, um, journalists doing good work on this. uh, I recommend people check out the work of Whitney Webb and also Allison McDowell. Those are two brilliant women who really parse it out of how we are the product that we are being managed in a system, um, that you know, if if a if a product is free, you are the product, right? And and just the ways we're being surveilled and commodified in every aspect of our lives, um, healthcare obviously being a huge one. So I think education is a key for people to really understand. You you want to withdraw from these systems. These systems don't have your best interest at heart. I'm not talking about your personal doctor. I'm not talking about the surgeon in your town. I'm talking about the digital overlords, right? The, the, um, the bigger system there. Um, so definitely educate yourself. And then obviously coming back to health sovereignty, that has always been my, my message for people. And I have a body, I live in these very disruptive times. I fully understand how hard it is to take good care of ourselves but that is what we have to do. We have to, it's, it's like a log roller act. If you, if you fall off, get back on the log, you know, just keep, try to keep yourself balanced. And, um, I, you know, these are so basic. There's such basic things. They're almost cliche, but they're everything that, um, people need to, to eat real food, you know, start examining the food supply, get off the fake meats, the fake milks, the seed oils, the sugar, the artificial colors and flavors and get back to eating real food. I'm a fan of the Weston Price style of eating. I, I feel like that's a, a good um, nutritional platform for, for families, for women who are making people who are feeding people. I think for, for building a healthy family, the Weston Price style of eating, which is just an ancestral style of eating based on eating real food and eating the way our ancestors ate um, exercise, you know, we, our, our lives are being sucked away by the computer screens and, and it's so easy to, I, I don't think it's just me. I mean, it's so easy to sit down and, and uh, lose an hour of your life to the screen. At, at, at least an hour. Sure. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I'm not, what I'm going to say is not at all scientific and, and it's, it, for me, it's more of a metaphor though. Sometimes I'm wondering, but I, um, I went to see a, a traditional healer here a, a few years ago when I was just feeling very, very bad and nothing was helping. So I went to see a, a curandera and, and had this, had a really incredible treatment. And she, she sat me down and looked me in the eye and said, there are evil spirits that live in the internet that feed on the human soul. And, and I needed that medicine at that time. I needed yeah. to hear that. And I need to remember that, that, that like my, you know, I don't let our lives be sucked away by the screens, get outside, get sunshine, get fresh air. I know the cliche phrase now is touch grass, but literally touch grass. Yeah. If you live where I am and there's no grass, get your, get your feet in the sand, go breathe in the air, let the sun hit your face. Those things, exercise, 
fresh air, sunshine, and good food are uh, again, it's it's um you know it's so basic that we it's, discount. It's timeless. It. It's timeless. Yes. Though. Yeah, I, I'm going to cut in real quick because because it's so it's it's the negative side of this is that we've reached a point where everything you just said has to be articulated because people don't know people have blocked out their instinct that like oh i feel better when i get sun on my face and smell the water and have my feet in the sand but that's fine that's what we need practitioners for and you said that you're you're not talking about anybody's individual practitioner and and i i encounter that a lot because i write stuff that's critical of the medical industrial complex but i'm this what i'm saying is not a, a critique of every single practitioner they're out there doing what you're doing giving this really fundamental advice and I do want to validate what you said about the, what the um, healer said to you about the, the demons in the internet. I, I hope that people can hear that from wherever they're at. They can hear it metaphorically. They could hear it literally. But the lesson is the same. The lesson is the same. Whatever it is, you're being sucked into this screen, your attention, your health, that you they are putting – you're consuming the thoughts of other people to the point where they overwhelm and overtake your own thoughts. Now mm-hmm. you can call that demons or you can just call it computer programming, but the result is the same. So I hope people can hear what you just said metaphorically, literally, but as a really, really important caution that, that our lives aren't inside screens. They're outside with the air on our face, the sun in our eyes and our feet in the sand or the dirt. And that's a lesson that I need because I live in a concrete jungle here and I need to be reminded of that all the time because I have to go out of my way to find mm-hmm. that. So yeah, it's, 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 there's, they may be cliches, but some things are cliches for a reason because they're timeless. Right, right, right. And then, you know, on on the, a negative, a more negative note, I would say people need to really understand that big pharma is a predatory force that wants to turn every human on the planet into a daily, lifelong pharmaceutical customer. And you need to remember that when you go into the system that that is a pharma-based system. You need to remember that that's who funds our medical schools. That is who funds all the research. And we have to take responsibility that if we're going to heal, we have to do it ourselves. We have to do our own, our own research. We have to remember that a, a lifetime of drug addiction is not healing. And that the first step is to envision actually what would it be to be free of that what would it be to be healed maybe uh you know i always feel like well we, we, the whatabouts come in and it's like okay yeah. i'm not talking um insulin dependent di- type 1 diabetics i'm talking the vast majority of people should not need daily pharmaceuticals to to function Amen. so Exactly. We need to free our minds from that and understand that, again, this is a predatory force that that wants to enslave us. So getting back to what can we do for ourselves, you know, and it's not a... a it's not coincidental that all the things that are good to, for us, we've been taught to fear, including now fresh air, you know, sharing air with people, yeah. the sun, human contact, uh, dirt, um, r- milk that comes right out of a cow. We, we, have been, we have been propagandized to fear everything that can truly heal us. I couldn't agree more. And um, as we begin to wrap up, since we're on the the vibe here of 
of giving real positive energy and advice to listeners. What would I'm sure some people are listening and they're wondering, um, well, what goes on behind the scenes at, at my family doctor or my nurse practitioner or my dentist or any, any medical professional that I go to see? What would be some short advice you could give to someone as to um, how to be an active participant in the medical care that they um, seek out? Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one. I I think that looking for stories of healing, if, if you're dealing with chronic illness, I would look for stories of healing of people who actually got better um, and do that before you consult the system that um, Western medicine, again, does not offer healing for chronic illness. And then, you know, it's, it's just hard. The system is is so hard to navigate. But remembering your own humanity and the humanity of every person you're interacting with in that system is going to go a long way to getting the attention and care you need. Coming in angry, um, coming in um, dismissive, coming in thinking the the doctor's a god who who can fix everything and then you're disappointed when they can't, all of that's going to lead to worse care. But remembering these are human beings and you're a human being and we're all equals and these people have a skill set that may be useful to you, but are not um, different from you or above you. And just just acknowledging the humanity of the people working this working in the system will spark the ancient healing vocation that drove them to work in that system. I love that advice. Absolutely, it's 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 it's. I can understand it. And again, I'm not saying I haven't fallen prey to it and I'm not judging people who who feel anger when feeling like they've been disrespected when they seek out medical care. But your mindset is, is under your control. And mm-hmm. when you go to see somebody, um, that is under your control. And then you can gauge from there how and, and how that mindset is met by the others that you're interacting with that work in that place. And I do like your idea of of seeking out stories of healing, like in a much, much uh, low level version of that, I had to have um, a tooth extracted last year. And it was the first procedure that I had since I was in my 20s when I had a ganglion cyst that was sitting on a nerve in my wrist. And I I had to have it removed because I couldn't even press on anything. And so Mm -hmm. it's been many years, I'm proud to say many years that I had anything that, that could be called a procedure or something close to a surgery. But I did the old, I did the new school of of when my dentist recommended me to an oral surgeon, I carefully read all the reviews online and parsed it all out and and found somebody that I felt had the experience and the positive energy coming off of his patients. And I'm like, and he actually lived right near me. I mean, he works right near me. And I trusted that and went there and I went in there with that mindset. The the staff up front greeted me right back with that. And the experience was as positive as a tooth pulling could be. And I think that that guided me there to say like, well, if I have to deal with something like this again, that felt like a blueprint. I was like, okay, I did my homework in advance, but I went in there feeling humble, but empowered at the same time. And I was met with the same energy. And I felt, I felt when I walk past that office now in my day-to-day errands and all, I feel a positive energy as I walk past of like, yes, that was really, really something that was, I I felt like something healing happened in that office. 
Oh, absolutely. The the archetypical power of of the people who can heal us from our tooth pain, like that's an ancient <laughs> like they're, they're like demigods, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that is that is such a unique type of pain. It's like you know, like like people use root canal as almost like an adjective to describe pain. You know, it's like root canal pain. And and um this this doctor and his staff, I mean, I can't I couldn't have asked for more. And I felt like it just, it was a much needed reminder on my part to be that to not, not condemn everyone. Don't do this blanket condemnation of all medical practitioners. And secondly, to be uh, conscious of what role I'm playing in this process. So thank you for that, that um, suggestion there, because I, I think that's, I think that's just basically good life advice to just mm-hmm. be mindful, step away from the screen, gather your own thoughts, get in touch with your own feelings, and then move forward with in that, in that um, very state of mind of clarity as to what it is you're looking for and you need and what you're willing to give. Absolutely. So Mary Lou, as we wrap up, any Closing thoughts, because um, I'm thrilled to hear everything you had to say, but I want to give you the last word here. Team humanity, right? <laughs> go team, go. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And I already look forward to chatting with you again soon. Oh, wait, actually, one more quick thing. I'm going to throw mm-hmm. in one more quick thing on the air. You had mentioned to me last time that, that you had some interest in starting a podcast. And I know that you're in the midst of this transition, but I just want to put it out there, put the energy out into the universe for people to hear that once you've made this transition and perhaps have more time on your hands, you, you would, uh, the, the world will benefit if you're out there sharing your wisdom on a regular basis for your podcast. So that's my team humanity vote right there. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Okay. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you're getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool, kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. As is becoming increasingly the case, I like to use these closing thoughts to reemphasize and reiterate some kind of wisdom that was imparted by whatever guest is on this particular episode, in this case, of course, Mary Lou Singleton. And I just want to remind us that the lesson she kind of highlighted from beginning to end in this conversation is 
how much power we have and how possible it is to say no to the dominant powers and find ways to navigate your way around it and still be a positive force in the world. Because I see it all the time. Yes, the powers that shouldn't be have seem to have more power by the passing day. And we it's not hard to fall into a place of despair and then attacking each other, even though we're sort of on the same side. But if there's one guarantee, it's that if you surrender any semblance of personal agency and any hope or optimism or enthusiasm towards working together to create change, then it guarantees there will not be change. And so Mary Lou's example is how we can we can recognize what's we could have a mission, recognize what's going on, and find ways to fulfill that mission in a way that shatters the illusion that the parasite class is unbeatable. So I want to thank her again for being on the show. Thank all of you for listening. Urge you to please share this episode far and wide. And no matter what, keep your guard up. <laughs>